0: at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Matt Reister here. We've got an interview with Dr. Rich Frankhauser from right when the coronavirus pandemic was kicking off in 2020. And Andrew and I, how you doing, Andrew?
2: Good, Matt. Thanks.
1: We've, We've been doing these conversations before that we kind of splice on to interviews on the front end, and today's little sidekick pre-interview conversation needs to kind of set the record on some things. This right. is an interesting interview,
2: right? Yeah. So we're with some of these. We we learned about doing these 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 pre-conversation conversations um, after we'd already done several uh, several of our. Conversations podcast.
1: It's an idea we picked up at a conference, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. We saw many podcasters doing it. Just a great way to kind of ease yeah. people into the interview, and we've gotten good reaction on it so far. But we're doing this significantly after the yeah, date that the exactly. interview was
2: recorded. Yeah, we're going back and doing a couple of these, and yeah, so it's we we do we need to to preface uh, a lot of what's said. Uh, some, I mean, obviously, who nobody could have, nobody did predict uh, exactly how this whole thing would play out, and. Uh, so some of, of what Dr. Frank Hauser says uh, is totally accurate and, and panned out just what just exactly how he thought, and some of it didn't. And uh, so, you know, A, we ask for a little bit of grace in that, uh, in, in how it's talked about. Uh, B, uh, we ask everybody, including ourselves, to set politics to the side. Uh, this is a politically polarizing issue, still is today, uh, you know, with masks and, and vaccines and, and all of that. Uh, so set that aside, uh, if you would just listen to it with a spiritual ear, a spiritual heart, um, and and lastly, there's still a lot you can take out of um, of of what Dr. Frankhauser says and sort of the themes that that he and and Tim Butger and and you talked about in that, um, you know, a lot of the themes of of how to help people when when you know not only they're sick, but if they're afraid, uh, if they're facing death, if. Um, You know, people are isolating themselves and and becoming lonely as a result. Uh, Those types of things still go on. And even if coronavirus was uh, totally eradicated or cured or whatever, you know, medical term, if it was gone tomorrow, uh, those things would still exist in the world. Um, And and another pandemic will happen someday. And so uh, there's a lot to take out of it still. I, I think it's
1: interesting snapshot in history. Yeah. I don't remember the exact date we recorded it, I'm sure it's on there somewhere. Yeah. And we had no idea back then that we'd still be talking about this right months and more than a year later. Exactly. And so it's kind of an interesting despite all the things that we're saying to kind of give some disclaimers. Yeah. It's an interesting historical snapshot of where we were at that time. Right.
2: Absolutely. And, and uh Yeah.
1: And two two very Tim and Dr. Frankhauser solid, godly men who trying to navigate this with the information they had at the time.
2: Yeah. And, and obviously after the fact now we've all, we've all uh, lived very different things. It's affected us in a lot of different ways. There's some people listening to this um, for whom it was, you know, maybe they've had a family member pass away or, or was seriously ill from it for a while. Uh, There's other people who uh, like myself, I, I uh, I've been seeing somebody for quite a while who, who lives uh, overseas and uh, had to spend 15 months not being able to to have personal contact with her and, and see her face to face. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting looking back, like you said, is a historical snapshot. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there's still, like you said, still a lot to, to take out of it. Um, Dr. Frank Hauser mentions at one point when he's going through his story, he he talks about a couple of things that that really made me smile. One of them, he said he was retired for a very short amount of time between, uh, coming out of private practice and then going to work, uh, for the Western home. Uh, and he mentions they took his kids to Disney World. Uh, I planned that trip for them. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I used to, I, for those not, who don't know me, I, I worked at Disney World twice, uh, when I was younger. And, uh, and have helped plan, uh, hundreds of, of trips to Disney World, uh, awesome. in various capacities. And theirs was one I, I sat down at a kitchen table with him and, and his daughter and, uh, and, and worked out a whole bunch of details about, uh, how they would go and, and all of that. So that was, uh, that was hilarious. It made me smile when he mentioned that. Uh, the other thing he, he mentioned was that he had briefly worked, uh, at a hospital in Langdon, North Dakota. Um, and you hear the you hear you've heard the expression, uh, it's not the edge of the world, but you can see it from there. Um,
1: <laughs> Langdon, North Dakota, you can see the edge of the world. N- no, no, no.
2: Langdon is off the edge. Like <laughs> there's there's nothing there. Uh, there's absolutely nothing there. My my whole mom's family's from uh, up in that general area, and, and just the most some of the most desolate land. Um, right
1: now, when we're recording, I think it's ten degrees Fahrenheit outside right now. Yeah. And I can't imagine what that, winter is like up that's there. That's shorts weather
2: for Langdon, North Dakota. <laughs> I mean, that's sunbathing. People are out. Yeah, so.
1: Anyway, uh, enjoy this interview. I think it's going to be a fascinating one as we all kind of hear it again and remember back to what it was like at the beginning of coronavirus. And like you said, Andrew, many enduring insights that uh, go beyond just right. that
2: Moment in time. Exactly. Exactly. So lots to take out of it. God's always got something for us no matter when we hear it. Amen.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to the CC podcast today. I am fortunate to have a couple guys in the studio today that you're going to want to hear from, and uh, the first one you have heard from before already, Tim Butker, who's the Director of Spiritual Care at the Western Home Communities. Tim has been contributing to our daily devotions, the daily dose, during this uh, coronavirus pandemic, and you can obviously listen to those here at the CC podcast. Maybe you have already. Uh, Tim and Ike, his son, were also interviewed here a couple weeks ago about Ike's uh, journey to the NFL and how the Lord's hand kind of guided that. And so, Tim, welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Matt. Good to be back here. We need to get you a permanent chair, I guess. I mean, you're in here a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I've also got Dr. Rich Frankhauser. And uh, Dr. Frankhauser is the medical director at Western Home Communities. For anybody outside the area listening to this, Western Home Communities is a retirement...
3: uh, What do you guys call it? Um, It's a... A rather uh, full extent of care from uh, retirement to uh, long-term care, mm-hmm. and so I mean they've got some everything.
1: They've got some villas where you can live independently.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yes.
1: Really nice, by the way. That the age uh, qualification I think is fifty-five and older. 55 and older. And older. Yeah. yeah. I got eleven years to go, baby, That's right. and then I'm moving <laughs> in. <laughs>
5: it's
4: getting it's getting
5: younger every it's year, though. Pretty people comfortable. That are moving in and the. Uh, you know, people that don't want to spend a lot of time working on their home or place and, and travel a little more, or aren't fix it people. They like to just move in and have it taken care of. And my understanding
1: is that uh, this is one of the leading retirement centers in the country. I mean, I, I hear about Chris and others talking to people all over the country as a model mm-hmm. for how you take people from a, a villa all the way through, I don't know what all the stages are, but mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, specialized care and, mm-hmm a great facility. Um, Dr. Frank Hauser, you're the medical director there. Yes. And we've got this thing going on right now called COVID-19 that has, I would imagine medical directors at retirement centers and nursing homes, pretty concerned. Uh, Very concerned. So we're going to talk about that as it relates to your role at the Western home. We're also going to talk about just from a doctor's perspective, you know, how should we navigate and think about this thing uh, medically, from a health yeah. perspective, and from a Christian perspective. and uh, But before we get into all that, we'll just kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, I wanted to be a doctor at one point. Ah. Fifth grade, you, you were telling me before we got on, Neil Williams was in your medical associates group. Yes, he was. And Neil Williams is one of my heroes. Um, Neil would go on these mission trips. He's a general surgeon. And he would come back and he would share stories about these mission trips. Yes. And uh, they just captured my uh, amazement, and I wanted to be like Neil Williams. And long story short, I thought that meant that I needed to go to medical school and be a surgeon. Um, That lasted until I got to organic chemistry, and then I decided (laughs) I could be like Neil Williams without being a doctor. That's true. And so that's why (laughs) I'm here. So how did you get interested in medicine to start with?
3: Um, There was a doctor in Dysart when I was a kid. Doc Roberts and he was just such a neat person if I had any issues just go in and kind of got to know him and then I had a cousin that was a physician in Illinois um who I had a lot of respect for as well and uh my dad was a pastor and I pretty well knew that I didn't want to stand in front of people and talk. So <laughs> welcome to the podcast.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, um, I just got really interested. I could tell some stories about my earlier interests, but I think they're probably not uh, with animals, but, <laughs> um, but I was just very interested in that side of things. And, uh it was in junior high, I think, that I really started to develop a, a significant interest and decided that that was a direction I'd like to go. The, um, I think it was the summer of eighth grade at the Bible conference where, you know, the, the Friday night at camp, you usually have a bonfire and you do a variety of things. Well, in ours, you wrote what you'd like to do with your life and... So you put that on a stick and threw it in the fire. And um, at that time, I uh, kind of declared that I wanted to go into medicine, Hmm. give my life to that career. How old do you think you were at that time? I think it was eighth grade. Eighth grade. That's what you said. Yeah.
5: Interesting. So you were interested in sort of biology of life. Yes. And you didn't want to speak in front of people. No. <laughs> and it came together around that campfire there.
3: Yeah, it really did.
5: That's interesting because I didn't want to speak in front of people either. But I, I felt like the Lord really didn't give me a lot of choice early on. <laughs> I, that's, that's how my dad approached
3: it to, to the ministry. He he uh, tried to farm for a couple of years, mm. and that was in the Dust Bowl years. And wow. he mm. finally said, I give up, Lord. I'll... Go into the ministry like you want me to.
1: <laughs> so eighth grade, you kind of declare that you want to go into medicine. Um, then, then you finish high school in Dysert?
3: In Dysert.
1: and and then you went to college and medical school. Where at? Uh,
3: there was a little college. That church was the EUB church, and the EUB College in Iowa was, oh, by the way, Western Home was part of that system.
0: They u v system back mm-hmm. in the
3: beginning wow um, the college was Westmore College <laughs> in Lamars, and uh, there were some really excellent professors at that time that um, I had a lot of respect for in biology and chemistry and well I mean in general, there were certainly other good professors, but those were the ones that I spent most of my time with and uh, you know so I think just going through. The uh, courses and getting to know those docs. And they both spent time, uh, the two biology professors spent time uh, teaching at summer school at the University of Iowa. And so I think that maybe helped a little bit. It's a little difficult to get in, but um, I think with their help it Hmm. worked out well. Awesome.
1: And so uh, once you graduated from Iowa, were you, I've known you as a family practice doc. Correct. Were you that the whole time?
3: Yes. Okay, here and, in town, uh yes, yeah, I was in town in practice full time for forty years um and then retired. It'll be six years this may, but uh, after medical school, I decided you know medical school is you're under the close observation from residents and staff people, and I decided I needed to have a little bit more responsibility myself, so I decided to look at um, county hospitals in large cities as a place to learn medicine and do medicine. Hmm. So I was in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, It was called Marion County General Hospital at that time. And um, so I spent a year there and then decided to go into the public health service. It was the end of the Vietnam War era and spent two years in a small town in North Dakota called Langdon. It was 10 miles from the Canadian border and about uh, 30 miles from the uh, Minnesota border, so it was northeastern uh, North Dakota. And that was excellent because there were just two other family practice stocks in town. And uh, so... They left on weekends, and so you got. And there was a small hospital in town that uh, allowed me to really learn a lot of medicine fast. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, While you're developing into
1: medicine and and as a doctor, you're also developing and growing spiritually. You you mentioned that EUB camp, which is now where the Cedar Falls Bible Conference is at. That's right. That's where you made this kind of declaration before the Lord in eighth grade that you were going to going to medicine um you were also saying that you gave your life to christ at that camp was it the same year or a different time or
3: i believe it was the same year i think it was exactly the same year that i and uh my wife connie accepted christ at the same camp she was from lamar's so it was
5: do you remember anything significant about that time when you gave your life to the lord and opened your heart to him
3: um I, you know, I think it was growing up in the church, growing up in a pastor's home, I felt like, I always felt like I knew the Lord. I think it was that decision to really make it part of my life or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, take that step that uh, we all, I think, need to take. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think... It was a commitment uh, that I felt was a necessary commitment
5: at that time. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, when I listen to your going through the journey and all that, do you look back and see how the Lord directed your path?
3: I really, really do. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that song, Jesus Led Me All The Way. Mm. You know, because after... um, when I was in the public health service in North Dakota and I, uh, you know, we were involved in a small group and and I think we really grew. And um, my wife was a good witness to the two other docs. She wasn't afraid to. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, But, um, you know, and then having a a cousin who was in the... uh, uh, sales business as far as pharmaceuticals were concerned uh, knowing that there was a Christian group in Cedar Falls um, and pointing me in that direction for a place to look for practice and you know we came to Cedar Falls to look at the group um, to visit the group not look at it specifically but to, to meet the docs and I'll tell you we, we left that um, just no question
1: Hmm. Uh, Hmm. do you remember any specific things that played into there being no question i mean was there a conversation or was there uh just a sense
3: i think it was a sense you know um we had well i'd known a lot of docs over the years from the university of iowa and practiced with some uh different docs and a lot of docs in indianapolis but i had never met a group that uh were as kind and um, caring and uh, welcoming, maybe mm-hmm. and humble, mm-hmm. it's not common to see that in medicine. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
5: you know it's interesting i 'm flashing back right now. We came to the medical associates when my wife and I came to town, and we were having our first child, and we were after he was born, we were so tired and so wiped out, and we went for that first appointment. And, you know, the power of a doctor, the person, you know, you're in a vulnerable state a lot of times when you see a doctor and you get to be a minister at that time. And I remember he was a Christian doctor and he said to us after we had the whole meeting at the end of the meeting, he said, well, I just just want to let you know, I believe the Lord pours out extra grace in our time of need. And then he said a prayer for us. And that was so powerful for us at that yeah. stage, just feeling so vulnerable with our first baby and so wiped out and, and to have the doctor say that to us, I mean, that, that was a neat thing going there, yeah. medical associates. And yeah, I want to, I want to name some of those doctors.
1: We already talked about Neil Williams, Bob Bremner, of course, Bremner. was there. You said
3: Phil Rohrbaugh. Phil Rohrbaugh. Who John, were some of the others? John Kaiser was there. Yep. John Jake was. Um, um, Dr. Aaron Holtz was there at the time. Um, I think um, things changed a little bit over time. I think Dr. Crandall came several years later.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: What a great group of guys mm-hmm. that were just served this community well. Uh, my own family story: my my grandmother, uh, her husband, my dad's dad, died. Uh, when he was my dad was 15 my grandpa was 53 my dad's the oldest of 6 uh in Radcliffe Iowa oh. they owned a grocery store and and had to get out of there so they moved to Cedar Falls and i think Dr. Bremner ended up being my grandma's doctor for a while and just again at a vulnerable time in their lives where i want to i want to talk about it from the other angle of a lot of patients and this applies to right now what we're experiencing today, Um, expect their doctor to be able to fix everything. Uh, Um, It's almost like, now you said some doctors, humility is rare. So some doctors might have a little bit of a messiah complex. Um, But I think some of that is projected onto doctors by people who expect, I I have this ailment and I don't know what to do, but you're going to fix it. So, how over the years have you dealt with that kind of being projected onto you? The expectation that you got to fix this for my son, or my daughter, or my husband, or my wife, whatever.
3: I think, you know, over the years, when you first start out in medicine, you feel like you really have that responsibility. Mm. And then, as you, especially in family practice, I'm sure the primary cares. Um, my take is that you get to know people so well, and you have this relationship, and you can say to them, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, um, that we can fix it or, or how to do it. And Mm -hmm. you try and help out. And I think I, I, I really feel like that takes away some of that kind of, it's more of a almost friendship discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sooner or later in the practice of medicine, you're going to realize that you don't really have control of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you you look at it and you realize that I can't take responsibility for all of that. Um, you know, your faith leads into that. and um, It's a you know, you do the best you can do, but mm-hmm. I think that um, having faith and having that realization that God really is control, in control of a lot of things that uh, we'd like to take over and hmm. fix. fix.
5: Yeah. Hmm.
3: I don't know if that answers your yeah, question. Yeah, you bet.
5: I wonder, so, you know, you you here at Medical Associates, and then you retired. Yes. And then the Western Home Communities came to you, as far as I remember. Yes. And— asked you to consider coming on board and, and how did that happen? And when I look back now, it's, it's just been something else. I feel like the Lord did in your life. And, and now, you know, for such time as this, you're in this position, but describe that getting into the Western home communities.
3: Well, um, I had been the medical, in fact, Bob Bremner took me to (laughs) Matt. First year I was in practice in Cedar Falls. He took me to Western home and, and, uh, I think back then it was just standard assisted, you know, what's now standard assisted living. And he said, meet me there at uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll just go through and uh, see residents together. And and at that point, he said, well, this is going to be your nursing home now. And (laughs) (laughs) so I was the kind of the primary doc from our group mm. for Western Home, and then I was a uh, medical director at Western Home over the years, so I had a long, long history with Western Home. Mm. And um then when I retired that ended and um I think they were just you know seeking out to have another medical director at the time. And I um uh Jerry Harris uh, gave me a call one time, and I think he called me rather than visited. But anyway, he uh, he said, "How would you like to be medical director at Western Home?" And I think after four months of retirement, I realized that I really don't like retirement so well. (laughs) I need to be doing something Mm.
5: more or something different, and so you know, that's interesting. You say that is because, you know, obviously we work with a lot of retired people at the Western Home. Yes. But when you study the scripture, you see that like retirement isn't necessarily in there. We were made to contribute and do things. And and when I hear you say that, I, it, it's been so educational for me to listen to people who have kind of done the modern idea of retirement, feel that need to get back contributing. And we're just made that way by yeah. God.
3: I really really felt that way those four months off well one of part of the time was great we took the family to disney and you know after that it was it was just such a different time Mm -hmm. i needed to i just felt like there was still more to contribute Mm -hmm. so um and western home was a good fit because i felt really comfortable there and i knew a lot of the people and Mm -hmm. so it really worked out very well i think I wasn't expecting anything like has happened at the present time. That's right. <laughs> I was going to say. I wonder, if, <laughs> I wonder if you, how you feel about it now.
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. fantastic. So you came on board then after you retired, and yeah. you've been the medical director. And now we've entered this time, yes. which has been a very intense time. It has. And a lot of information to process at once uh, maybe sort of two aspects to it. One, how have you personally walked through this last month? What has it been like for you personally? And then maybe we'll go to the medical side.
3: Okay. I think um, in the last month, there's a, a lot of heaviness. Um, yeah. I mean, I can pray about it and do pray about it. Um, we pray um, just actually for the whole world with what everybody's mm-hmm. going through. But the heaviness for me is, um, and and I'm sure for everybody involved in care at the Western Home, is trying to keep that organism out of the home. Mm-hmm. And so looking at everything that we can possibly do um, to try and accomplish that is is critical so um I think there just like you said, there's all kinds of information from the c d c from c m s from uh different organizations about what you can do to try and reduce the risk and I think that um actually we have a a really really good team of thinkers i think you know that mm-hmm. uh, have a lot of good ideas about how to do that, but it still doesn't We've been a little blessed and are very blessed in Black Hawk County that so far we don't have um, Mm -hmm. person-to-person
4: transmission.
3: It's all been from travel, but I know that's coming, and uh, so uh, we're just doing everything that we can do to try and Mm -hmm. avert that. And it's difficult because we're asking people not to visit. That's really difficult if you're used to going in every day or, or a couple of times a week to see your loved one. And then to be asked not to visit is a, a, a big sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole goal of almost every, well, not almost, every decision, the goal is to keep people safe, both caregivers and, and residents.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me jump in and ask a question, Tim, to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been on the phone as the, as the director of spiritual care. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that you and your chaplains have kind of divided up and you're kind of calling on folks. And, you know, like you just mentioned, Dr. Frank Hauser, um, a lot of these people are used to having their kids, their grandkids come visit. I know my mom and dad still live at home, and I, we've been telling them, stay home. Like, don't yeah. mess with this thing. And so uh, we went over there the other night for about five minutes and just stood on the porch together, you know. <laughs> and usually they're, they're used to the grandkids crawling all over them. And, uh, <clears throat> and and so it's different. And you've got people even that are in their homes. They're doing these drive-by. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of these teddy bear hunts? yes. I mean, the stuff that's just been kind of invented out of this is incredible. But, um, Tim, or I don't know how close you are to the actual individuals at the Western Home to get a feel for this, Dr. Frankhauser. But, Tim, I know you and your chaplains are. What kind of things are you hearing from residents mm-hmm. that kind of um, reveals the difficulty or the disruption that this is creating them? Yeah.
5: Well, interesting. Right, right when I walked in here. I was on the phone with a daughter of a resident who, you know, they're used to going to see their mom and talk with her once or twice a week. And she's just questioning, like, she doesn't know how to use a computer. What kind of things could, is this worship service going to be put on TV at all? You know, they're just dealing with those kind of things. And and they're just feeling bad for their mother because they can't get in to help her like they normally can. Mm -hmm. So there's that side of it then when you call on some residents you know the fear if they're just sitting there watching the news all day um what that does to them a lot of you know phone calls you'll end up and they feel very vulnerable some of them and as you start talking it through with them and then offer to say a prayer it can mean a lot but you think of being isolated alone and in that vulnerable age It's definitely a fragile feeling. And then you have other things going on, like you're restricted to your room. um, And then let's just say someone new is moving into the community because the timing has fallen just that way. And I was just talking with a lady yesterday. She's in the hallway greeting him. And a few of the other residents are saying, hey, you shouldn't be in the hallway. Mm. You know, and then she feels bad for being in the hallway. And and Mm -hmm. someone would feel terrible if they brought the virus in or Something like that. So all these dynamics are there that, you know, they're just going through their minds like we're all adjusting. They're adjusting those that live in the communities, you know, and that's a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts to process if you're totally on your own and your mind can play some tricks on you. If you're isolated like that, you don't have some community to talk with. And so
1: I want to keep talking about this. I'm going to break in right now and just promote uh, a website that we have a partnership with. It's called IssuesIFace.com. And it really gets to what we're talking about here. Now, some of these folks might, like you said, this gal doesn't have a computer. But uh, IssuesIFace.com is a place where you can read uh, from a Christian perspective how different people have dealt with a wide range of different issues from anxiety to depression to debt to cancer to Uh, dozens and dozens of issues. But the thing that's unique about this website is it also allows the readers to connect anonymously with an online mentor. And those mentors are volunteers who are trained believers who will uh, listen, if you want to call it, listen through the computer, through, through email exchanges and who will walk with and encourage mentors who are struggling with a particularly heavy burden. They'll pray with you. They'll point you to Christ. They'll point you to scripture and uh, I've been in touch with the folks. I actually work with them a little bit. And we've seen a spike in mentor requests through this website because people are isolated in their homes. They don't have anywhere else to go. And so they're going online uh, to issuesiface.com. And that, that might be a great spot for you to get some encouragement, some prayer, if this is particularly a heavy heavy season for you. Or if you're dealing with something completely unrelated to the coronavirus, uh, go check out issuesiface.com. So anyway, things are... In flux, in terms of the way the western home is is operating, and this is not just the western home it's everywhere right everywhere. Um, do you have any insights like Tim's or are you a little few degrees removed from like the front lines?
3: I, think, um, I have I think probably rather than well, I have some residents in the nursing home that I took care of for years, so I pop in and say hi to them every once in a while um, but uh, I think I have a little more contact. Maybe um, I'm not saying you don't. I just, my contact is more with the caregivers, mm-hmm. you know, in the different facilities. And um, I try and check in and see how they're doing and how they're approaching things. And
1: As a medical director, are you running them through like the logistics of disinfect this,
3: do these procedures, blah, blah, blah? It's, you know, that's true. It's that type of thing where you look at what can we do to uh, either improve what we're doing or um, ideas about adding uh, things, you know, that we could be doing uh, to try and prevent the the virus from, you know, entering.
1: So I'm just going to add Lib ask you this. Like my wife and I are having a discussion about how seriously do we have to take this and how much mitigation do we need to invest in here? Um, So if I'm just at home or somebody's listening to this and they're wondering, like, how big of a threat is this? I remember hearing early on that this virus can stay on a surface alive for 17 days. I mean, how much of that's legit? And what would you tell people in their homes? Like, what's a reasonable level of caution, but not ridiculously extreme? Or do we need to be
3: extreme? I, part of me thinks you need to be extreme. Um, so the virus, the uh, the information, I've looked at several different studies and it's kind of hard to be 100% sure about the total time that the virus can survive. But if you just take the, um, it can survive uh, about a day on cardboard. Uh, it can survive three days on plastic. And it can survive... Um, about two days on stainless steel, but the other side of that is is that if you can still find virus on those areas, usually up to seven days after that time. I know that some things have said and I've seen like some of the cruise ship, you know, they've found virus that has been there for uh quite a few days. I I think you're right. I I've seen in this in the teens and I saw one something about thirty some days. But anyway, I think that you just have to remember the amount of virus that's there decreases significantly over time. But those first few days, it's pretty significant. So um, as far as how we get the virus, so you're well aware that there are fomites in the air. So if somebody coughs in your area, it can easily last in the air for three hours can last longer than that, depending on the situation, but three hours. So if you walk through an area where somebody has had the illness and they've coughed, that's very significant. Um, if um, you know hand washing becomes uh, extremely important, uh, there was a study that was done looking at how often do we touch our faces? Well, it's at least 25 times an hour well, if you're going to get it, it's going to be a handle, a doorknob, a you know, and so you have the virus on your hand and then you plant it in your eye or your nose or your mouth. And um, so that's the other significant part of this. There's one other area that I'm going to mention that I think is important, although I don't think people think about it or talk about it and that is in a bathroom. We know that the virus is in the stool in a fairly high percentage. And so it can be around the bathroom. So, you know, um, even though we don't think of it, it as a foodborne illness, like touching and and putting your hand in your, you know, touching your face with that, but anything around a bathroom area, keep your hands off your face until they're well washed. And when you get out of that room, um, I'm not talking about the bathrooms in our homes, but I'm talking about if you use a bathroom in a public area mm-hmm. that... You really just need to be really, really careful. Um, I'll tell you what I do at home. I, I figure if it lasts 24 hours on cardboard, it probably lasts that long on mail, maybe newspaper. I bring the newspaper and the mail in, I throw it in the garage, and I get it the next day. If I have cardboard that I bring into the house, I let it sit in the garage for a day before I bring it or open it. Um, that may be taking it a little far, but I really am very concerned because our our whole goal is not to overwhelm the the care system. I know you've heard this mm-hmm. on enough on television, but I think it's I, I think that uh, distancing and what you're doing with your grandparents or your parents with the grandkids, um, you, you just want to not introduce the virus and so i think it is a a really big deal and i think that um we just need to be careful and i i you know the virus is so new i'm not sure we know all of these answers we're talking about like we know the answers um but i think the only thing that we have to um to help is to just be cautious
1: that's good stuff tim i don't know if you notice how Well, he spoke about, you know, the unmentionable things in the bathroom. I mean, Mm -hmm. the doctors do such a good job of kind of clinically (laughs) going through that. Um, Another I had another question that escaped um, that I was going to ask you specifically. Oh, this isn't a political thing at all, but it's been interesting to watch. Have you been watching the daily press briefings? Yes. So it's been interesting to watch the president. Who's trying to paint an optimistic picture and kind of keep Americans positive and keep the economy rolling, in uh, contrast, him with like maybe Doctor Fauci or Doctor Burks, who are more kind of the clinical scientists, doctor people who are trying to be realistic about this. Yeah, what's been your take on? I mean, I'm sure a bunch of our listeners have been, have been watching all that. What's what's been your take as a doctor watching that interplay? Um,
3: and I I, I get where. It's good to keep the population feeling somewhat positive rather Mm -hmm. than just allowing everybody to be in the doldrums. I think that um, I like hearing the medical side of things. I like them talking about uh, how uh, that's a more realistic type of approach. Mm. You know, like hearing President Trump say that, um, that he has a good feeling about hydroxychloroquine. And, you know, you grow up in medicine, you have to have a double-blinded study to know if anything works. You Mm -hmm. have to have really good, large studies. And so um, the study out of France looked really good. And so I understand where that comes from, and I hope that that's all true. But I understand why they're doing a much larger study, Mm -hmm. trying to get proof that that really does make a significant difference. Mm -hmm. Can I throw in one other thing about the virus that people may not understand? When you read the information about the nursing home in Kirkland, um, Washington, the studies that they did on the viral concentration in the nasal paths or in pharyngeal cultures that they did, the of all of the people they tested, only half of them had symptoms. Hmm. So the other half had the same amount of virus, but didn't have any symptoms. And so when you think about, um, that's another reason that I think we just have to be careful about being being close to people is because that group of asymptomatic people could spread the virus just as easily as mm. those that were coughing and sneezing. They have no idea they have it. They have no mm. idea they have it. And of that group that were, they they divided them in pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic, the pre-symptomatic group um those folks develop symptoms but in most of them three to five days there were three that never developed symptoms but they had the same level of virus that the other ones had so you know we we get a sense of security and well so-and-so doesn't have cough they don't have a cold but the only way that you can really help out with that is that social distancing mm-hmm and the hand-washing and whatever you can do because you don't really know if that individual right. has a problem mm. or not.
1: Another question that raises in my mind is about these percentages, infection rates, death rates. If there are all these asymptomatic people walking around, yes. they probably didn't go to get tested. right? And if they didn't go to get tested, they're not showing up in that denominator number of infections. And so the death rate might, in if in that case, be artificially high What's your thought about that? And how does that relate to just the general flu that we have every season? Like uh, maybe those are two different questions. But one of the things I'm hearing from people is, and one of the questions I've had, is uh, if you had a daily press briefing every single day during every flu season and you put in the paper and on the radio and on, on social media how many people have died today from the flu and how many people are sick I think people would be stirred up into kind of a frenzy, kind of like we're seeing now. I'm not suggesting that coronavirus is not more serious than the flu, because I think it obviously is. But how do you balance all that stuff? And what do you do with the numbers that we're hearing?
3: I think um, I think there's no question that you're totally right. We don't know the denominator. I think there are a lot more people out there. If you figure 80% of the people uh, have just a mild infection you know, that group of people might just think they have a cold and never be included in the numbers for, because they just never were tested. Uh, so I think the denominator, I th- think you're correct. It's much, much larger than, uh, than it's published. And so the death rate would be lower than we perceive it to be. But if it's 10 or 20 times what influenza is, that's, Still really significant, you know, if you look back at the death rate, for example, in the United States this year i i I think about that once in a while when you think, if we publish, maybe this is what we need to do with influenza to get people to buy in how significant it is, so this year, twenty thousand people died in the United States with influenza um in I think it was i may be wrong in the year, but let's just say it was uh twenty thousand eighteen. 60,000 people died in the United States with influenza, and we treat it like it's just a cold. Um, Anyway, so this is uh, a request for people to get their flu shots, um, you know, and do everything they can do. And I think that in the nursing home setting, we know that just like with this, influenza, they're the most vulnerable to influenza as far as severity of illness. So um, that we're trying to prevent Protect our residents the best we can from influenza, and I think, I think overall, um, have have uh, been very successful in that. But the other side of it, now we're dealing with something quite totally different. But I, you know, and I know you always read about. Well, don't compare it to influenza because it's totally different, and I get that. But I think we have learned things from influenza that help us with this. And I think, um, some of our efforts will be, uh, helped by that. But I really want people to always take influenza, uh, seriously, you know, seriously. Yeah. Um,
1: another question about that, just from my own personal experience, I two, three, four years ago, I, I had influenza. I never went to the doctor for it, but I mean, I was in bed for 23 hours a day for six days, sickest I've ever been. And, um, one of the questions I've had is somebody who's been through influenza. I know there's different strains and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, but is there any way that they have antibodies that would resist this coronavirus more, or is it completely different?
3: Completely different. We have antibodies to influenza to some degree and the coronavirus, you know, there are four coronaviruses in the United States that just cause a common cold. And you'd hope that, but it doesn't seem to have any effect on immunity to this particular virus. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. So
5: that's good doctor stuff. Yeah, when, I, when I'm when i listening to you share, you know, and, and I think of this true in the Western home, you want, you know, you asked the question about being extreme. If I'm sitting there in our rehabilitation suites and I've come out of a surgery or I'm getting some help from the caregiver, I want them to be extreme. Yes. I mean, I yeah. walk these hallways and, you know, room after room of individual and you want the highest quality of attention given to watching over this. And s- sometimes it's hard to understand that unless you're in that environment of how intense you really want it to be. And yes. I just want to thank you for towing the line like you have. I know it's not easy. Yeah. And, and, and you know, so many health care workers – you know, that we're familiar with, they understand the weight of what we're experiencing as well. Yeah. And
3: I just have felt that I think that's the weight of it is just what in the world can you do to keep something like this out? Yeah. And unless, you know, I guess my plea to everybody is do your job, don't get infected. So you don't Mm -hmm. bring it into this place. Um, You know, and I anyway, yeah, what
1: what kind of fears or questions are you hearing from healthcare people the the people who you work more directly with
3: um i think it's just the unknowns of what the future looks like you know i think you you see the uh the the situation for healthcare providers in let's take italy you know you see pictures of that on the news or new york and what that situation can be like and i look at that and i think My worst day working in the emergency room with as crowded as it could be is nothing compared to what they're going through Mm -hmm. every day. And so I, um, you know, it's just uh, difficult to keep, you know, healthy Mm -hmm. and not having enough protective equipment to keep everybody healthy. I mean, there's, there's just lots of aspects to this that are, are difficult. I called a
1: friend of mine who is the director of ICU at one of the hospitals down in Des Moines. Yesterday to just check on him, see how he's doing, pray with him. And um, when I when I asked him, and this is a tough guy, younger guy, kind of, you know, um, macho, you know, he's a man's man, you know. Uh-huh. But but I said, you know, Jason, what what's something specific I can pray for for you? And without me even finishing that question, he said, courage. He said, wow. my he said, my mind is all over the place on this thing. He said, some days I feel great. Some days I'm scared like crazy yeah. just because you don't want to bring this home to your family. Um, he's seeing in the ICU, you know, people in his demographic, younger than me, that are having a very hard time with this. And uh, I think, Tim, you've been taking some notes there. Maybe you want to go a different direction. But one of my questions is one of the things I want to talk about is what does this do in terms of opening the door for the gospel, mm. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, We've been listening to Tony Evans uh, worship services on Sunday mornings as a family. And he's just talking about how the Lord allows distress to come into people's lives. Fundamentally out of his grace and for a spiritual reason, which is to help us kind of unshackle ourselves from the distractions and the false idols in some cases and turn our hope and our trust and our focus back on the Lord Mm hmm. What would either of you say about that?
5: When you're asking about the health care workers, you know, you're not on the front lines there, you know, and I'm not on the front lines with the health care workers and doing that care. But just think of just the, the bit of vulnerability we felt and then take that times whatever. If you're directly in that situation. I think everybody feels a sense of vulnerability right now. Yeah. Um, And that vulnerability, I'll never forget walking with my father-in-law when I was early married. We were out on the farm, and you you think of a couple guys on the farm. You're talking about some tough things and whatever, guys. And I don't know what the conversation led to, but he said, you know, it just stuck in my heart. He said, you know, a lot of people don't think this, but I believe life is fragile. Hmm. And that hit me as a young man you know you, you're coming as a lot of young people they don't think it's so fragile we watch this, some spring breakers on TV this virus isn't a big deal and all that stuff they don't understand how fragile life is it really is fragile mm-hmm. and something like this does remind us of how fragile it is and then that that leads to questions where you know how long do I live where am I going when I die
4: mm-hmm
5: what is life about anyway? What is God like, really, if he's allowing this? Mm -hmm. Um, It opens up a whole range, I think, of opportunity for people to really think about and reflect on their lives. And in that way, I think it's good because, you know, when America's going along strong and everything else, and you can fall with the love of the world. And... That doesn't prepare you for what comes after. and it, It's not lost on me, and I hope it's not on
1: others. No. This is so incredible in terms of America. The strongest nation in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. From a worldly perspective, you mm-hmm. can make an argument for Israel, I mean, yeah. back in the day. But from a worldly perspective, America is the strongest nation in the history of the world at its wealthiest time ever. Mm. Yeah. A month ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Six weeks ago, whatever it was. And... Boom.
5: Yeah. How quickly we can be brought to our knees in a sense. Yeah. You know? And when I listen when I listen to you, Doc, and and I think about your position, what I've felt in my position, and I it was texting with um Chris Hansen, our CEO, oh. the other night. And as we were texting, one thing he texted me is, I'm working on my divinity degree. Hmm. I mean when you have responsibilities in this environment, I don't know how you couldn't want to cry out to the Lord mm. yeah. and ask yeah. him for guidance and wisdom and direction i mean i I mean I don't know if you've felt it more, but oh. I've certainly felt it more, just wanting to be you no know question. on my knees,
3: yeah it's just yeah you,
5: there the interesting part
3: about this time is just like you said, everything's, everything's kind of taken away. Everything that you know has been a security is kind of, mm-hmm. what's this look like, you know? And so, um, with your health, mm-hmm. you know, your livelihood, your I mean, so much of life has changed just mm-hmm. uh, momentarily.
1: Tim, I'm going to throw it to you after I make this announcement. Just This is our only other promotion uh, during this interview. I want to highlight the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, which is still being planned for July 25th through August 1st. The Cedar Falls Bible Conference is, like this radio ministry, it's one of the longest lasting Bible conferences in America. Uh, we'll be celebrating our 99th conference this year. Tim's going to kick us off on Sunday morning, uh, July 26th. Mark Schultz is going to do a concert July 25th. We'll have Christy Knuckles there leading worship at the end of the week. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace, a, a great apologist uh, from L.A. County, a former homicide detective, is going to come be with us. And we've got several other great speakers. We've got great uh, ministry for kids and students. And it's all free. Uh, we're so thankful for the donors that support the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. And so put that on your calendar. Gosh, by the time July 25th rolls around, I think everyone's going to want to yeah. get out of the house and go hang out. Um <laughs> I might ask you a question about that in a second, Doc. But um, put that on your calendar, July 25th through August 1st. You can go to cedarfallsbibleconference.com dot com for more information or find Cedar Falls Bible Conference on Facebook. Tim, before I throw it to you, that promo just reminded me like everyone's going to be a little cautious still. Right. Oh, yes. e- even after the peak of this thing passes through and it feels like we're somewhat out of the woods. Um, what are your thoughts about that at this well, point? Like like the Bible conference. How's that see, play
3: out? Yeah, and i it, that's going to be a difficult thing to answer. But what I hope is that it tapers down like influenza. You know, some viruses just don't do as well in the heat. And when you, some of the studies I've looked at related to how long it survives on surfaces indicate that the higher the humidity and the higher the uh, temperature, um, the less the duration of the virus on surfaces. And so what I hope is, is when things improve in the summertime, That the viral incidence goes down significantly. And um, I don't know that it will get to zero, but I think all of us will be used to uh, taking good care of ourselves and washing our hands better than we ever did in the past. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's my hope. You're planning on being at the Bible Conference? Yes. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I'm a little concerned about next fall. I don't know what next fall is going to bring. I just hope and pray that the vaccine that they're working on i know that's too soon but it'd be wonderful if it was there before next winter what will we do without college football i'm gonna have a problem <laughs> yeah. talk about
5: idols <laughs> tim what do you got you know uh, just a, just a couple things one you know doc as you described that heaviness feeling i think it comes on to all of us at different times when we're going through the And I'm thinking about the phone calls that have been made when you touch base with somebody who's in that. In in King Solomon's words, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Yes. And if you reach out at this time through the technology we have and all that, you do get refreshed. And I, I would just give that encouragement right here. We need to keep reaching out to one another, you know, like you did with your friend in Des Moines. And yeah. if you're listening now and, and, and you know, a, a my, and a name runs through your mind, just, maybe the Lord's putting that name on your mind. Reach out and make the call, you know, touch base, because those who refresh others, you do yourselves get refreshed. Let me jump in on that quick.
1: I've heard somebody say they don't like the term social distancing. Mm. They'd rather have it be physical distancing because mm-hmm. we still want to maintain some social connections. Yes. Yeah. Just not physically.
4: Yes. That's a yeah.
5: good nuance, I thought. Yeah. And it's important to do it. To stay connected with each other because, you know, I know the longest longitudinal study ever was done on the health of individuals over some 75 years. And the thing they said, and this does help the immune system, good relational connections yeah. help the immune system. And, and so let's keep those up. And we're made for that by God. And then secondly, you know, with that heaviness, you can lose your hope. You can lose your, your courage. You can lose your faith. And we want to keep encouraging the faith in each other. You know, we just had our first grandson born. Wow. And to be born into this time with the excitement of that and excited for his life, you have to do that by faith, that by faith, God is going to carry us along yeah. and he's going to be good and there's future grace available for us all and is no guarantees from the Lord, but whether we live or die, if our faith is in him, we are the Lord's and we can go forward with faith, knowing those things. And we want to keep living with that courage and that faith, as long as God gives us opportunity. And so, and I appreciate the doc, you know, being extreme through this time. That's something that, you know, it's good to sit here and just talk about it. Absolutely. I want to, something we talked about beforehand that I want to kind of go into,
1: um, Another image that doctors have, uh, you know, kind of projected on them is that they're kind of impervious to this stuff. You know, like you look at Fauci on TV or these guys, and it's like they have all the data and all the science, and it all makes sense in their mind, and, and they've probably never had a hard day in their life. And, I mean, they fix everyone else's problems, but they never have their own problems. <laughs> um, you you talked about your kids, and you talked about losing a son uh, 20, 22 years ago, something Twenty like that. Yes.
3: Um,
1: and I'm just interested in... And uh, you can tell as much of that story as you feel comfortable with. But what I'm interested in is how did, for lack of a better term, being on the other side, you know, I'm sure you've been with families and people as their doctor, as they've gotten a bad diagnosis or as they've, you know, faced some difficult news or passed away or whatever it is. And then would that be the the most poignant example in your life of being on the other side of it? And how did that shape your practice of medicine and your ambassadorship of Christ in the medical field?
3: I think, um, well, first of all, uh, Jim was uh, about 22 well, was twenty-two years ago. He mm-hmm. would have been about 40, or I mean, at that time, 26, I think. Um, he just developed an acute infection. He was well up until that time and uh looked like a typical gastroenteritis but um, he developed a really a severe immune response to that um, infection inflammation and uh, was uh, acutely ill for about 24 hours to 36 hours before he was placed on a ventilator and then that was uh, we never were able to communicate with him after that time when we talked to him, but, um, he wasn't able to communicate with us. Um, and it was about, I think total illness was about 10 days. I think he was on a ventilator for at least seven days. And, um, it was a, a very trying, difficult time. And really there was not a lot of hope at that point. Um, he had had, um, the veins, you know, he had intravascular coagulation and in, so he had uh, uh, veins clotted off from the kidneys and the liver and basically organ failure similar to what it sounds like with this infection hmm. when it's severe. Hmm. Um, and I think um, you know, you pray hard but you also accept and you know you look back and it's thankful for the time you had
4: hmm.
3: how did that
1: mark your practice i mean did did you have a different perspective after that or was it just kind of a a a, a, a development of a perspective that you'd already had
3: well i think you know it's interesting to me in medicine um those things that you personally experience all of a sudden, a lot of people come out of the woodwork that have experienced mm. the same thing, so one thing I found in my practice was i had I thought I had fairly good family histories on folks, but I had folks coming out telling me about loss of a child that I never knew, and I'd taken care of them for years mm. and so it it kind of opened up a little ministry area that I hadn't um expected exactly. And then living through it with other people who had a loved one on a ventilator and, um, you know, having compassion for what they were feeling and going through. And I think, you know, um, at that time, um, I think it gives you a little more, um, I'm not sure the term I want, I wanted to say credence, Um, people accept your compassion for them because they know you've experienced the same experience Mm -hmm. um the the hard part right now is going to be your loved one is on a ventilator and you won't be able to be there with them Mm. yeah they'll be there alone but they're not alone you know
1: right that's one of the things that my buddy in des moines was talking about is difficult in the icu is, is these people having to be in there by themselves. Mm. And that just makes another level of difficulty. Yeah. Um, so I want to follow this even a little further. Um, we're all going to die. Yes. And doctors live with that all the time. And as a Christian doctor, you know, you're coming to help people eventually in your care. I'm sure you've had many people who've been your patients who eventually kind of age out. Yes. Just like hopefully we all age out. I'd rather Indeed. age out than get hit by a bus. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, And I want to age out, you know, as painlessly as possible. Um, but what is just and, and I don't mean to put this in this conversation to scare people that they're going to die of the coronavirus. That's not that, that's beside the point. But we're kind of going down this path in this conversation. What would you say to a patient, you know, to, as as or, or just to me? just as we prepare for the fact that someday our bodies are going to give out? And uh, how do do you even broach that conversation
3: with people? Um, Some people make it really easy for you. (laughs) Hmm. Um, You know, and those folks that you've known for a long time, it's much easier to talk about those kinds of things. I think, um, you know, from a faith perspective, um, you can offer hope. You You can offer or talk about The hope that they have, even though on this earth, um, you know, we aren't going to be here all of our lives, and that we have a hope in Jesus that, you know, our life will uh, extend and uh, we'll be able to be in heaven in eternity. Um, I think we hold on to life really hard. even when it seems like uh, we pretty well are understanding that that's uh, unreasonable or, and so I think that having those kinds of discussions and talking a little bit about our, you know, the length and days of our life. And I think, um, you know, they're, There's some folks that accept that with joy, and sometimes it's a very difficult thing to Mm. to see and accept.
5: Tim, you live with that. Mm -hmm. What's that like from your perspective? You know, it's it's different for different people, Uh, like like the doctor saying. And when you're there with someone who is at peace, and a matter of fact, I just uh, read from a friend of mine who was there with his dad. And told his dad, as he was, you know, unconscious, not responding, he told his dad, Dad, it's okay. You know, we'll take care of the family. You can rest. And within the hour after he said that, his, his dad passed. And, you know, the doctor's mentioning that hope. And it's a living hope, the scripture says, that the power of Christ can put in a heart and it's why i'm in the ministry yet today because i believe that is the hope that if people have it changes their whole eternity Mm -hmm. and to watch people you know obviously in a retirement community we have that experience nearly every week it is a hundred percent going to happen to everyone and Jesus simply said, "You must be ready." And I was reading an article to my uh, wife this morning. I sent it to her on her phone. Then about it was something about a, a ritual in Sweden, the Swedish death cleaning, and it's about preparing for your death and doing some things in advance, embracing that it's coming. And I believe, after working in a retirement community the last five years, we're afraid of the topic. We don't discuss the topic much as a culture. Like uh, the doc says, there are, we strongly fight against it. But in the end, everyone has to surrender. And I don't remember which. I think it might have been Spurgeon who said, I've made a decision to talk and think frequently about my passing. And working in a retirement community has changed me deeply regarding that topic to embrace the fact that it's going to happen. Why not start preparing now? And in doing that, somehow my own spiritual life has come alive more and more. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for that Mm -hmm. because it has me more excited about the unseen world. And that's what's coming next for all of us. We'll leave behind the seen world and we'll step into the unseen world. Mm -hmm. And I think the Holy Spirit can help us prepare for that and be excited about it. And we want to encourage each other in that. Amen.
1: I've got a sermon that I prepared a few years ago called The Precious Gift of Death, which Uh sounds terrible. Um, But... I I did a lot of, Francis Chan has some really good stuff about this. And there's some other things that I researched, but from a theological perspective, I mean, when you understand sin and when you understand our bondage to decay that the Bible Mm -hmm. talks about, Mm -hmm. God was so gracious in letting us die. Mm -hmm. Because can you imagine? I, I remember watching a video of like some lady that turned 113 years old or 107 or something. She was in some nursing home, you know, on the Today Show or something. And and they're like, so, I mean, is this great or what? And she's like, no, this is horrible. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I wanted to be gone a long time from now. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody you know, to unnaturally uh, end their life, obviously. But, but there is a very gracious, like, the soft, compassionate mm-hmm. love of God mm-hmm. in allowing us to leave this broken, fallen world. Yes. Mm-hmm and spend eternity, like you said, in the Mm -hmm. unseen,
4: Mm
5: -hmm. uh,
1: I just wonder if when we get to the other side, if we'll have any recollection of what happened here and how stupid we will think it was for us to cling so much to what Mm -hmm. this is, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know.
3: That's kind of an interesting part of being in practice for a long time is that you follow people through their whole life. um, Or not. But you started taking care of people in midlife and then you follow them through. um, The one thing that I always found interesting was as we gradually lose more and more of our abilities, that thought that um, this is not... um, someplace I want to hold on to and for those people of faith mm-hmm. they become anxious to move on move on, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting and um, I think uh, it's almost refreshing sometimes
1: mm-hmm. to, had a woman who's getting older maybe one of the most comfortable with death people who I've ever met very solid believer and excited to to move on to heaven. Um, but she said, Matt, you know, growing old is a series of letting go. It, and it starts with my body starts to not function the way that it's supposed to. So you're letting that go. Uh, you let go of your driver's license. You let go of some of the independence and the freedom that you used to have. You let go of a spouse that passes away. Uh you like, and, and finally, after all this letting go, letting go of life just seems like a better deal than it did before this succession of letting go started. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I thought that was really wise. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But it is kind of interesting. We still fight hard to prevent that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, well, I mean, I think that's a totally appropriate thing. Like, trying to keep this virus out or trying to keep people safe. And right. that's the appropriate thing to do. Um, so I don't want anybody to think that we're... No.
5: Right. <laughs> and it's a, it's a real issue I've thought about a lot in Scripture. Choose life. Mm-hmm. You know, Scripture is, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Yes. And we we want to fight for that. At the same time, there is the great hope of what's after this life. And it is a unique... Sort of balance beam to be on, yeah. and the, it is hard to hard to know how to how to talk about that with people.
1: One of the many blessings, I think, there's a lot of blessings from this coronavirus thing, but one of them might be that it's just forcing people. And I think maybe in America in the 21st century, we might be the most averse to talking about death mm-hmm. of anyone. It's, it's, yeah. it's not around us. We can distance ourselves from it with the conveniences and the wealth that we have. And those aren't bad things. It's just the reality. Uh, And so we are forced to think about and talk Mm -hmm. about this Mm -hmm. in a way that, like Spurgeon said, it it brings about, or that you said brings about some refreshment of Mm -hmm. your soul Mm -hmm.
5: when you kind of address that. Yeah. And I think when, when you, when you, the more you work through that issue, the freer you are to live. Mm -hmm. Because even the scripture says the fear of death holds many captive and it does something to us even if we're not aware of it Mm -hmm. so to to plow through and embrace it that it's coming Mm -hmm. and really work your theology around it and keep doing that it sets you free to live Mm -hmm. more and you know you'd hope some of that would come out of this
1: yeah homer larson was the radio preacher for christian crusaders for 50 years and uh as i got to know him better he loved preaching funeral sermons more than anything else and one of the reasons, well, there are a couple of reasons people come who are never around the proclamation of the gospel, yes. family members, friends who aren't churchgoers. And then the other reason, I think, is just because right there in the in the box in the front of the church is a body that's dead. Mm-hmm. And people are having to face their own mortality, mm-hmm. even if for just a little bit. Yes. And there's an openness that's created by that to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And Homer loved preaching into that mm-hmm. and did such a good job of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Anything else? Um, oh, one other thing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you know how uh, you constantly hear about um, just praising the caregivers for all that they're doing, and yeah. I, I think the docs and the and the nurses and aides and I mean, you could go down a whole list. I mean, they do a phenomenal job, and they're hanging in there, and they're they're really doing what they can i just want people to think a little bit about those providing care in the nursing home they they come in the caregivers do a phenomenal job and it's i think it's going to be equally a mm-hmm. uh more of a challenge as this goes forward and so people can certainly be in prayer for those folks that every day mm-hmm. come and and serve uh, and great. love you know they do a great job yeah. as i've been listening to this Here's how I want to close.
1: Um, You mentioned praying, you know, God's protection over the facility and the world, caregivers like you just did. I'm going to have you say a prayer for those folks and just specifically related to the virus as a doctor. I think that'll be cool for people to hear. And and you can even just by your example, teach us how to pray about this. And then, Tim, why don't you wrap up by just saying a prayer for him and listeners, whatever the Lord Mm -hmm. leads.
3: You bet. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for being with us and in us and for your spirit that's in us. Father, we just think about all those people that are um, infected with the coronavirus around the world, and I just pray for them and pray for their souls and pray for healing. Um, Hmm. Pray for those that are working hard to develop a vaccine, to develop treatments that will be um, beneficial, that uh, just will relieve the suffering of this virus. I think about all of those who uh, give so much of their life to caring for others, to uh, being there, trying to do whatever they can do to uh, serve folks, to uh, keep them alive, Mm -hmm. to uh, do what they can to heal them. I think about their families and what they're giving up with uh, those caregivers being gone for hours and hours. And... Um, what a, a difficult time! And uh, I think about those individuals that are caring for our loved ones in nursing homes. and yeah. Nursing homes you know, are—it's uh, a very difficult job. And uh, we think about um, what they're sacrificing, just uh, providing the care for our loved ones. I pray that you would keep them safe. We need them. We need their help. And we just pray that you'd keep them free of the virus and uh, all of the the docs and um, nurses and caregivers and um, it extends into the the police and firefighters, Mm -hmm. those that are providing the services that we need and the protection that we need. Lord, we just ask that you be with them in a special way and um, that they would feel your presence with them, Lord.
4: Mm
5: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, I echo those prayers and thank you for your constant presence with us in life. We've talked about how we all feel vulnerable through this time, and I pray that you would use that time of vulnerability to draw people to yourself, that this would be a time where, with that vulnerability, a sense of humility would come into our hearts and an understanding of how fragile this life really is and and how... You care deeply, and you're drawing people to come to you. And in that sense, your word says you've been patient with the world, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance and a knowledge of your son. And so please work that through this time. And then I echo the prayers of, uh, Dr. Frank Hauser here. Thank you for his willingness to come in and share and talk for his leadership in the community here. And as he prayed for so many others who are leading and feel the heaviness of making decisions environments in environments like the Western home communities, give them wisdom, give them guidance, give them direction, give them strength, and then do help us defeat this mm-hmm. virus, uh, Help us find ways, as the doctor prayed, to deal with it, to treat it, and then ways to fight against it in the days ahead. We know that you uh, have given us the offer of life. So help us fight for life in that way, also with the hope of eternal life. Thank you for this, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry. Started in 1936 and is one of America's longest running radio ministries. We are 100% donor funded and donations to our ministry are 100% tax deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, ChristianCrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number 2, and the letter cdigital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a 5-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.